Well, <clears throat> it is a joy to be here today. Um, I have heard that the sign of a healthy church is a lot of little children. And uh, if that's true, then you have a very healthy church. I love seeing them. One little boy was disappointed. He sat down. He was ready for the children's sermon. <laughs> and, um, but I remember um, Charles Lamb was a Christian poet who said, I love these little children, and it is not surprising that they who are so fresh from God love us. And so you're to be commended for all these precious children. I want to thank those who are so talented with you musicians. I uh, don't know how to play anything but the radio, so I'm always impressed with people who can uh, uh, play different instruments. And so today, thank you for allowing me to come, and I want you to turn in your Bibles. Let me say a word about my voice. On Friday evening, I got popcorn stuck in my throat, and after coughing 30 minutes, I got that popcorn out and also my voice. So um, you uh, bear with me. We're going to read uh, 2 Corinthians. Let me just say in the first chapter. In 1 Corinthians, of course, you know that the church at Corinth was an imperfect church, just like churches today. I've preached in a lot of churches. I think I counted one time 65 to 70 different churches in my ministry. And I have not been in one that's perfect. I've never met a perfect pastor or a perfect deacon or a perfect church member. That's the reason it's by grace. And so when you get to the church at Corinth, Paul had given them a severe rebuke. And in that rebuke, he uh, did not spare any language because he wanted them to know that rebellion against God will cost you. Well, apparently, Paul was concerned about how that letter, 1 Corinthians, was received. And so he sent Titus to find out what was going on. And Titus reported back to Paul that... Um, they had received it generally very positively. But some were questioning Paul's apostleship since he was not one of the original 12. And so we have 2 Corinthians, and it differs from 1 Corinthians in a number of ways because Paul opens the personal side of his life. He tells them about how he had to escape from Damascus. He talks about his thorn in the flesh. He talks about his own personal suffering, but he also talks about the comfort of God. So today we're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and I'm just going to read, I believe, two or three verses, and uh, may God add his blessings to the reading of his word. The Holy Spirit said through the great apostle, Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of compassion, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our trouble so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Let me say before I begin that it's a joy to have my wife and uh, here. Uh, she was already at church this morning at 8.30. She's a glutton for punishment. But when I was preaching two services on Sunday morning, she would stay for both services, not because I'm that good a preacher, 
but because she was committed uh, to my ministry. And so uh, when I retired, I said, I want to give you a grade for being a good pastor's wife. And I gave her an A+. And we've been married almost 56 years, and I've decided she's a keeper. <laughs> and then I happened to look back there, and there's my daughter and my uh, son-in-law and one of my grandboys. And so this is a treat for me today and uh, to be in this beautiful facilities. But let me begin with the question, uh, where does it hurt? That is a question that you would probably hear in the emergency room from a doctor or a nurse. Where does it hurt? Certainly on Friday night or Saturday in a football game, when a player goes down, the trainer goes out and says, where does it hurt? And certainly for you young mothers, when that four or five-year-old son or daughter comes in with the third boo-boo of today, you say, where does it hurt? But the older we get, we realize that there is a hurt and a pain and a period of suffering in our lives that cannot be helped by a pill from the pharmacy or a pat on the head from a mother because we're not too long in life before we understand that life is not easy. In fact, uh, it is both a theological question and a philosophical question. And a lot of people who are not even Christians talks about the problem of evil or the problem of suffering. How many people have wondered with all of the earthquakes and the uh, hurricanes that we've had, and it bothers me that these uh, insurance companies talk about it as an act of God. But you see, when we live in a fallen world, and it has affected even the planet in which we live, and it was Paul who wrote in Romans, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childs birth right up into the present time. And so when we have all these natural disasters, it is ultimately uh, in the prerogative of God to understand even the creation groans. But you and I know, because we've lived long enough, at least some of us have, that sometimes life just sucks. It's hard. It's difficult. I used to tell people at Franklin Heights, it's not a matter if we're going to suffer, it's just when. I heard a preacher say one time that uh, we need to be kind to people because about everybody we meet is going through some problem. And we either are in a storm, coming out of a storm, or getting ready to go into a storm. And I think that perhaps legitimately sums up as we look back over the spectrum of our lives, we recognize even as Christians, we have hard days and things that we do not understand because, you see, trials and tribulations and difficulties are a part of the human experience. It has nothing to do with being a Christian. In this text, if we were to write, read all the five verses, you would find the words trouble, distress, suffering five times is mentioned, but the word comfort is mentioned eight times. We, we live in a fallen world, 
And so we suffer. We go through times in our lives that we ask, why, Lord? And I learned a long time ago that all of our why questions will never be answered. The Bible speaks clearly, however, about pain and suffering. We know that Job was a man. The Bible says that he was a upright man, a blameless man. He feared God and he turned away from evil. But in the plan of God, he suffered. And you remember he had three, uh, three friends and a wife who was a real jewel. And they had all the answers and they knew exactly why God, uh, that he was suffering. It's because you sinned, Job, and you need to repent. And ultimately, Job said, even if the Lord slays me, yet will I trust him. Let me say clearly that um, sometimes we suffer because of sin. If a person decides to drink as much alcohol as he does water, eventually he will suffer because of that choice. If a young person decides he's going to get high on drugs, uh, he will eventually suffer because of that bad choice. But sometimes we suffer because of good choices that we've made. I illustrate it by Joseph. You remember Joseph was sold into slavery and then he worked hard and he, he rose into the ranks uh, in Egypt and he uh, was in Potiphar's uh, household and Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him. And you remember he turned and ran the other way. That was a good choice, but he suffered because of a right choice. He would not defy his God. He would not de de uh, offend his God. Because of his good choice, he was put in prison. And so, you know, when we talk about suffering, we need to know that sometimes it's because of wrong choices and sometimes it's because of right choices. But the Bible tells us in Job, it says, man is born into trouble. And even our precious Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. And the reason I bring this up is because sometimes in our youth, we think, you know, that suffering or difficulty will not be a part of our lives. But I have come to the conclusion at the ripe age of 78, you say, preacher, you're really looking older than that, <laughs> is that we... I have learned that oftentimes the people who have blessed my life have not been the great preachers on TV who sit in those golden chairs and promise if you'll send them $100, God will bless you and give you $1,000. Don't waste your money. So give it to your church. But the point is, you see, we, we will suffer. There will be storms. And so we need as Christians to at least explore the biblical answers to that. Now, the Bible doesn't explain everything, but Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he said, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. I'm reminded of something I read, a lady who wrote, she said, Lord, 
I'm drowning in a sea of perplexity. Waves of confusion crash over me. I'm too weak to shout for help. Either quiet the waves or lift me above them because it's too late to learn to swim. I read recently a man <clears throat> who said this, life is not like a book. Life isn't logical. It doesn't sometimes make sense. It is not orderly. At times, life can be messy. And as Christians, the Christian faith must be put to the test in the midst of the mess. And you see, there are two reactions to hard times and to troubles. And I've seen people choose both reactions. We can become better as Christians. We can allow that period of suffering, that difficulty, that loneliness, that heartbreak. By the grace of God, we can become stronger or we can become bitter. And I've seen people do both of those. We can either let those things uh, prune us and and change us into the image of his glorious son, or we can become bitter. And I've, I had a lady to come to my office many years ago. She was from Richmond, but uh, her, one of her grandchildren had, had died, and she was bitter. She wanted to talk to me, and she was mad at God. And she said, how dare God take one of my grandchildren? That's what she said. And I could not help but remember one of your former pastors lost five grandchildren in an explosion. He and I, by the way, were roommates, not roommates, but classmates at the seminary. And so suffering, you see, is a part of our lives. And if you have not gone through it, if you have not had a dark valley through which you would just be patient eventually it will come because you see Jesus himself said in this life you will have trouble and so rather than becoming bitter by the grace of God we can come become better I have a, a young preacher friend, he's in his 40s, and this really happened. I, um, in fact, I'm going to be preaching at the church. He just recently resigned for the next two Sundays, and last Sunday I was preaching in a brethren church, and, and, uh, and I'm going to be preaching in this Baptist church, and, and I did not know this young man, but he had been to the university in Florida, and then he went to the seminary in New Orleans, and and he said, my wife and I got married. They've been married maybe 12 or 14 years. And this was four or five years ago. And he said, about three weeks after we got married, my wife got sick and we took her to the hospital. And before we left the hospital, they had told us that she had a rare blood disease that will destroy her kidneys. And they've been married for like 14 years and she's already been through one kidney, and she's on dialysis. But here is a man and a woman who, in the midst of that suffering, not suffering for a month or two months, but for all of their marriage, she's been on dialysis, or she did get a kidney transplant, and it's rege being rejected. Life's hard. And so we need to gear ourselves with the Word of God. We need 
to train ourselves not to be bitter at God, but to understand it is in the crucible of suffering that God can shower us with His grace. And so in this passage, I quickly um, must hurry. <laughs> wow. In fact, somebody told me the young people were going to leave at a quarter till. If they are, they better go because they're late. But let's look at three things very quickly. Three things that suffering can do. In, in verse 4 it says, who comforts us in our trouble so that we can comfort those in any trouble. One reason we suffer is so that it will train us to be a minister to other people who suffer. And I know some of your lives and you've gone through suffering. And, 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 and my life has been blessed. My wife's life, we've been blessed. Now, 25 years ago, we lost our only son, and that, that's hard, but no harder than if you have lost a child, not one bit harder. But I noticed that during that period of time, for a, a number of years, we had a multiple number of opportunities to minister to other people who lost children. And in fact, the chaplain at Ferrum, he was a young man, and he asked my wife to come and speak to one of his classes about losing a child. And she said, Larry, I could see those big old football players, and they, tears would go down their cheeks. And then he said to my wife, how has the loss of a child affected your Christian faith? And she said, it has strengthened it. And he had a hard time accepting that until about two years later, his wife was diagnosed with an incurable disease. And I think he was that he said to my wife, and this has been many years ago, what you said helped me. It was snowing maybe eight or ten inches, and I, the phone call came. And a man said, uh, my brother-in-law is here from Texas, and he just got a phone call that uh, his son has been killed. If I come over in my four-wheeler, will you, or my uh, four-wheel drive, will you come and minister to him? I said, of course. And I've had that opportunity because, you see, as God allows us to see his mercy and grace and goodness and the fact that he is the comforter and he will never leave us or nor forsake us, we're able to minister to other people. That's one reason we suffer. The second reason is in verse 9. He says, indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death, but this happened, he's talking about the difficulty, but this happened in verse 9, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God the tendency in the American psychic is that, please, God, I'd rather do this myself. And, you know, we, are, we, we think we're so great, and, 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 I, and I love our nation, but, folks, we are a nation that are, is really on the precipice of the judgment of God. And if there is not some kind of spiritual awakening, I'm not talking about politics now, I'm talking about the church. If there is not a spiritual awakening, there will be the judgment of God. And so he says, one reason we suffer so that we might not rely on ourselves, but we might not trust in ourselves. 
And I confessed to my church at Franklin High, he said, I, I find it difficult sometimes to trust the Lord. Obeying God has been pretty simple. Trusting God in difficult times. Trust in the Lord, Solomon said, with all of your heart and lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. That's easier to quote than it is to live. It's amazing, though. We, we, we trust. My, my son-in-law is a pharmacist. My goodness, we put a lot of trust in those people. You know, you get pills and you take them. It could be poison for all we know. I'm joking. But, you know, it does, accidents happen. So, but we put a lot of trust in our physicians, our pharmacists, and our politicians, and I'm not against that. I'm just merely saying that we must put our ultimate trust in the God of our salvation. Because you see, ultimately, when you come to the place in your life where God is all you have, you discover God is all you need. I take care, along with my wife, my 95 or 6-year-old mother, my wife and I were, we were going to travel. I, I retired not, almost nine years ago, and man, we were going to be globetrotters. <laughs> and then six months later, I had to bring my mother here, and that was God's appointment in our lives. We've done some traveling. We've been to Boone's Mill twice. <laughs> but you see, when I go to visit her, there is a tenderness in my heart for her. Because I am her son, and this is God's appointment for me. And I pray with her, and I kiss her, because I want, and I say to her, Mom, I love you. See, we must not trust in ourselves. We, we ought not to make so much, many plans about the future. And then finally, in verse 11, not only... Do we suffer so that we can comfort others? That's verse 4. Not only do we suffer so that we will not trust in ourselves, that's verse 9, but verse 11 says, As you helped us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. If I were to ask you, and I'm going I'm to wind it up now. Don't get upset. I'm going to wind it up. If I were to ask you, do you pray, everybody would raise their hand. If I were to ask, do you have a prayer life, that probably would be a different response. And I realized a long time ago that if I were to go and be, stay close to the God of my salvation, if I was going to amount for anything for God, I must have a prayer life. And so I, I say to you, how's your prayer life, Christian? Didn't the disciples say, Lord, teach us to pray? They didn't say, Lord, teach us to preach. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. Is preaching important? Yes, but prayer is important. It is the very powerhouse of the church, prayer. Let me give you one illustration, then I'm through. This really happened. My wife and I, I was on the mission board at the Southern Baptist Convention for eight years, and, and we did a lot of flying here and there, and, you know, and, and so 
we were somewhere in the middle of the country, and this really happened. I, uh, I was in the window seat. My wife was in the middle. And this young man, good-looking young man, was on the aisle seat. And all of a sudden, the flight attendant starts running towards the front. Now, usually they don't run. And, and she was trying to get by, by, by the cart. And in about five seconds, this really happened, the plane started doing this. And I looked out the window and I thought, well, Lord, we're coming home. People were screaming. I'm not exaggerating. I am not speaking in hyperbole. People were, the, the stewardess or the, a flight attendant, they don't like that stewardess word, uh, she was crying. And people were screaming in the plane and it kept just pitching and yawing like a kite. And, and, uh, and, and in fact, we fell five to 10,000 feet in about eight seconds. We had run into wind shear. And uh, when we got through it all, I looked up and my wife had grabbed hold of the young man next to her. <laughs> you know, I thought, well, you know. And, and she, being the southern belle she is, she starts apologizing. He said, ma'am, don't you worry. He said, I, have, I fly every week. And he said, on one flight, we had an engine to fall off and this is the worst I've ever been in. In fact, one of our church members uh, worked in Roanoke, and we flew into Greensboro. And uh, he said, oh, by the way, I heard of what happened to your plane, and he works in Roanoke. But the point of that illustration is, is for the next hour and a half until we landed in Greensboro, this young man behind us, and I am not exaggerating, he never opened his eyes. He just like this. And when we finally landed, everybody clapped. And he said, well, I know what it is to pray without ceasing. <laughs> you see, the thing about it is it's the difficulties of life that make us pray. If you spend a week in Hawaii and then the next, everything was wonderful and nobody got sick and you come home and the next day your wife or husband has chest pains and you take them to the doctor and you wait, or to the hospital and you wait five or six hours, I guarantee you, you prayed more in that five or six hour period than you did in the 168 hours of the week you spent in Hawaii. And so I'm saying to you, Christian, that we who are the people of God, we will suffer and we need to be prepared for it. We don't know what tomorrow will hold, but by the grace of God, we believe in a God who gives us comfort. He is the comforter. He comes alongside in the darkest moment of our lives. And he says, I love you and I will never let you go. Praise God for the Christian. We will never be defeated. And life may not be easy, but one day we will be home with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you move in mysterious ways, your wonders to perform. You plant your footsteps in the sea and you ride upon the storm. Oh, Father, thank you that you are in control and that you are great and you're a God of mercy and comfort. And we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.